0: Yeah, I, I get the Sunday scaries, but throughout the week. Um. So. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> oh my god. That's literally That's my worst sim- nightmare.
2: Simply horrible. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. I'm Pate. And I'm Nellie. This week, we're discussing the 2004 fantasy rom-com, Ella Enchanted, directed by Tommy O'Haver and written by Karen McClellan-Lutz and Kristen Smith, loosely based on Gail Carson Levine's 1997 novel of the same name, Ella Enchanted, stars Anne Hathaway and Hugh Dancy, and pushes the margins of the typical fairytale genre.
1: This week, we're joined by our dear friend, Isabel Speed, to talk about Ella Enchanted. Izzy is currently an urban teacher's resident in Washington, D.C., teaching 10th grade while getting her M.S. in education from Johns Hopkins. She is a fellow graduate of Swanee, the University of the South, where she got her B.A. in English, Izzy also was the president of hers and my SRAT ADT and fun fact uh, she was slash is I don't know if this lasts forever I feel like it does um my big so she basically momed me for the better part of college and if you know me you know I needed that this is all to say we are so lucky to have her on the pod today to discuss this iconic film welcome Izzy
0: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get to do this with you guys. I've really enjoyed listening and I'm excited to talk about Ella Enchanted.
2: Woo-hoo. Before we dive in, we'd like to remind listeners to stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear some action items from us. The presidential election is less than 60 days away, racial injustice and police brutality continue to ravage cities across the country. And the COVID-19 pandemic that is disproportionately affecting marginalized communities is far from over. Be sure to stay tuned for this week's action items. Now, without further ado, let's dig in to Ella Enchanted.
1: So, Izzy, ever since we started having guests choose the film, we've been asking this question. So, why did you pick Ella Enchanted and why do you think it's worthy of critical feminist analysis? So this
0: movie has always been like one of my comfort movies. Um, I actually watched it the week before you asked me if I would come on the pod just because I wanted something wholesome um, to watch. Uh, I watched it a lot when I was a little kid and my brother also liked it and we really liked the soundtrack and we would have dance-offs to the soundtrack. Fun facts. Um, And then in terms of why I think it's worthy of critical analysis, Um, I think this quote from the Fallon article really like helped me think of why this movie matters to me so much. Um, so quote, it was like a secret handshake amongst feminist girly girls. We wanted pretty dresses and devastating romance, but also adventure, intellectual stimulation and respect equal to our male peers, end quote. Um, and I didn't realize it, but I think that's why I vibed with Ella so much because I'm someone who, for a long time, I, like, rejected being a girly girl. Like, I refused to wear pink. I wore, like, black leather Converse because I wanted to be not like other girls. Um, and now, as I'm, like, more assured of, assured of with myself and with my own femininity, I also, like, have embraced that more. And I've realized now that you can be both feminine and a feminist. And I think Ella encapsulates that very well.
1: Yeah, it's funny because, as you were mentioning um... – pink and girly girl and wanting to re- like reject that as a kid i also i hadn't thought about this when watching the movie but i also felt that way and it probably is why i also consider El enchanted to be like one of those comfort films um and it was something that i feel like if it was on i was watching it <laughs> um we didn't own it i don't think but i was always like i feel like it was playing often so I was always watching it and fun fact when I was in kindergarten I remember this distinctly all of the like kids would go around and be like oh, like when we had to say like our favorite color things like that all the little girls in my kindergarten class their favorite color was pink and I decided that my favorite color was orange just to be like a little bit different and then but like if you came to my house my room was pink so I was just like secretly like hiding my like girliness I guess because I was like I want to be different um Also, fun fact, um, when in preschool, when all of the kids I was in my preschool class, we had to say what we wanted to be when we grew up. And people were like, oh, I want to be a princess. Um, One girl was like, I want to be a flower lady, which is awesome. Another girl was like, oh, I want to be a mom, which is also like something to totally strive to be. But I literally was like, I want to be a construction worker. (laughs) I was like, let me be different. (laughs) So Grateful to have had role models like Ella Enchanted to help me aspire to be. Basically, it was all because of Wendy from Bob, Bob the Builder, probably that I wanted to be a construction worker. Shout out to that coin.
2: Um, you just like released Andy a memory. Bob the Builder too much. <laughs> <laughs> but every girl's it, role model, like yeah, you just like released a memory so deep inside my brain I haven't thought about in I think twelve years. So that was a weird sensation, but um. Yeah, I just the idea that femininity and being a girly girl is something to be ashamed of is something that I recently have just gotten over um, and just realized how kind of toxic it is. I remember in first grade, my mom was a big tomboy when she was growing up, like loved playing football and played like tennis and always was like a tomboy. And, of course, every, I think, young girl, like, looks up to her mom, and so I wanted to be a tomboy, too, and didn't want to be, like, a girly girl, ew, gross, like, my favorite color was blue, all this stuff, but, you know, bringing up TikTok again, I bring it up at least once every episode, so I guess this is my, um, my one instance, but, um, I talked about this with our sweet Nelly, about how it's now a bra girl versus a girly girl, and, Like, you can see this comparison happening between young girls today. And everyone wants to be a bra girl because they're fun and cool. And the girly girls are, like, lame. But just because I don't like jumping off of high dive rocks into a lake doesn't mean that I'm not fun. And just because my favorite color is pink doesn't mean that I'm not fun. Um, But that took me a long time to get to this point where I'm, like, comfortable enough with what I like where I don't have to be ashamed of it or try and mask it and be like, oh, yeah, I like pink, but I also like football, you know? And I think this just takes us back to the whole idea about the cool girl versus femininity. Yeah.
1: I was going to say that, and I don't know. I think the, like, cool girl are trying to be – now we've talked about this, too, like the not like other girls trope or things like that. I think those are – I think people are – women are often drawn to them – in an attempt to, I don't know, be away from the mainstream and then also to not thinking that it's like feminist to be that way, but also it's actually oftentimes working against the movement, in my opinion, um, or it's not, it's not more or less productive than, um, embracing typically, um, feminine qualities or feminine things that are considered to be feminine, um. But actually, like, as y'all were, I don't know, just as we were talking about this, I feel like the two of you are truthfully, like, great examples for me of people that are able to really embrace, like, pink and and girliness while also being, like, empowered activist feminist women. And I think that that is really... I mean, there are definitely other people, like, uh, that are close to me that come to mind, but I do think that y'all are good role models for me in that context, just because I think it's helpful to have people that, to show that you can have both, I guess, if that makes sense, like, you can be empowered and also, like, pink.
2: I'm literally (laughs) blushing right now, please, compliment us more.
1: And I
0: think, like, that's why I relate to Ella, because at the beginning, like, when Hattie's, like, putting up her Prince Char posters, and she's like, ew, why do you like that? Like, that was definitely me in middle school. Like, I actively was antagonistic to people who liked One Direction, because I felt it was, like, gross. Yeah, don't be ashamed, Nellie. It's okay. I was on the out. Like, <laughs> and, like, I... they enjoyed- are now coming around, and I was like, oh, I was
1: there for them at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and I also, like, I, like, really liked the Jonas Brothers, but I kept it a secret from everyone because I felt it would, like, ruin my, like, rep that I'd made up in my head of someone who doesn't like the things that other girls like. And so I think it's cool to see Ella's journey of, like, being really, like, she's passionate throughout the film. That doesn't change. But her, like, I like that she isn't compromised by her romantic desires. And I yeah. think that that's often like such a big issue in rom-coms, and I I like that that's just a strength for her in
1: this movie. Yeah, and this is something that I didn't really. I guess I, I might want to jump down to another question that we have. Um, fun fact: Before I do so, um, I one time was at a birthday party when I was like probably eight or nine years old, and the girl whose birthday party it was was obsessed with the Jonas Brothers, like. Um, and I remember her mom asking me if I liked them, and I literally said, at eight, like eight or nine years old, I was like, I think the Jonas Brothers are overrated. <laughs> like I literally said that. Like, who even knows that phrase? Like, that's absurd. But anyway, um, take it back. It's not I don't real. feel that way anymore. I watched Izzy knows this. I watched. <laughs> Oh my God, I forgot about this. We watched the documentary. We watched the documentary like four times last summer. Like I genuinely watched, I watched it by myself and with like five, like individually with like four other people. So I watched it five times <laughs> and Izzy was one of them. Um, and maybe we watched it more than once. I can't remember, but obsessed. Uh, but anyway, so this is something that I actually was kind of, I don't think I've necessarily questioned when I, when I first watched this when I was a kid, but I think now re-watching it, Um, as a young adult woman, I was literally like, I was just wondering how, how do you think y'all, how do y'all think Ella Enchanted defines success? Because I think we've been critical in the past on this podcast of movies that end with this kind of like big romantic, like kiss or like love thing. Like she gets the guy kind of deal. And Izzy, you bring up a good point of like Ella is able to like have love but then also like be empowered um so what do you think makes do you think that Ella Enchanted sets a good example if it were created now since this was made in 2004 do you think it would be created the same way um what makes it unique from its peers kind of Um, let's tackle all of that (laughs) so
0: I think one thing that I like about the movie is that like the character growth isn't doesn't come from like a place of people being like Am I allowed to say assholes on
2: this?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I we've sworn. I don't really <laughs> super know. Like, Spotify could get mad at us at some point, but... We don't make any money, so it's not like we're we demonetized no or anything. No. So. Well, sorry. Shout out to <laughs> our sponsors. Like, hopefully we'll have you at some point. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I guess my
0: point is, I feel like normally in a movie with this kind of a setup, it's like the guy is like an asshole at the beginning. And then becomes like sweet through through the love of a caring woman which is like silly but in this like to me char doesn't start off as an asshole he starts off as someone who doesn't recognize his privilege and doesn't recognize what he can do with his privilege and so i think like success for for char and for ella is recognizing your power claiming your power and using it to help other people like so like ella she recognizes that she doesn't have power. And so then for her, like she claims her power at the end by breaking the curse and then like is able to do what she wants and like protect the person she loves and live a happy life. And to me, that success for her is not having to be bound by that curse anymore. But then you see that for other characters like Slannon and Char by like appropriately recognizing the power that they have or claiming power that they didn't have previously. So to me, that's what success is in this movie.
2: And I think one of the main reasons why I don't roll my eyes at the end of this movie when they get married is because I think they are actually like a great depiction of a healthy couple. And I noticed that in all of our notes, I think we wrote something about that. And you can see there's a lot of mutual respect. Like, yes, Char does save her a few times, but she saves him ultimately in the end. And so I think it when we witness a healthy like, you know, level relationship. It's not something to groan about. It's something to be like, okay, that is great. And if that is what you want, that it should be what you want. But just like, you know, and thinking of like a random fairy tale movie, like Sleeping Beauty, that is not great because she's just in a coma and like awoken from a kiss. Like there's nothing respectable about that relationship. So I think for me, especially watching it back this time as an adult, it really opened my eyes like, okay, this is actually what we should be seeing more of in fairy tales if you're going to end with a wedding scene.
1: Yeah, I think the only one that has kind of, um, the only movie I could think of that had kind of a similar vibe slash message to it, I think I maybe put this in my notes, was Shrek. Like, I do think, I'm, I'm grateful because I do feel like those were two of my, fa- like, Ellen Enchanted and Shrek were two of my favorite movies as a kid. And I feel like they both gave examples of, like, women who, I mean, we I'm sure we could dive into Shrek another time, but just, like, women who were able to, like, be empowered and also like at certain times like whether it's physically or emotionally like rescue their love interest and then also be have someone accept them for who they are and also like love them unconditionally and all that jazz but i also think um this is like a random parallel but i w- at the end of even though um I don't know I had never thought about this in the past but in at the end of Ella Enchanted when they're having the big dance number which I love obviously I love that song it's so good um but it gave me like end of the movie Grease vibes or the musical Grease it gave me those vibes but it's funny to like think about like comparing those two storylines because basically Sandy changes herself completely for her man which Ella doesn't like Ella if anything is able to like with the man kind of separate from it all or like along the along for the ride, but not because of them, she's able to like grow and reach her full potential and like be ultimately empowered, having nothing to do with the man necessarily with him just being kind of like almost an added bonus. So weird combo, but I was thinking about Greece at the end of Belle Enchanted. I do think I that. I hate
2: Greece. I'm sorry if um, anyone likes Greece. I do kind of love Greece, but it's deaf problem. Nellie.
1: <laughs> I'm shook. Sorry. Like, I did. It I, was one of those things that I like my older cousins like to watch it. So I watched it. No,
2: I get that. I tried to watch it like after my freshman or sophomore year of college um, when I was, you know, beginning my Women and Gender Study, Studies scholarship. Oh, I don't even know what I was saying. But like ha- having not watched it as a, as a kid and then watching it in college, I was like, this is literally literally disgusting
0: to me the only good thing is Rizzo but I also just think I was in love with her so
1: (laughs) (laughs) she's so lovable even though she's she needs some help (laughs) I think uh so I think we've kind of already touched on this a bit um but what lessons do you think Ella Enchanted teaches us about consent Izzy I know that you had thoughts on this yes so
0: one thing that I think so I'm a teacher um, I've been witness to multiple forms of sex ed, um, which has always been interesting because I'm like, it's just seeing ninth and 10th graders squirm while someone talks to them about condoms and such is always like both like very funny to me, but also terrifying because I'm right there. Um, but I, luckily I've been part of, education systems both in Texas and in DC where like I think they've been doing a pretty good job talking about sexual health as well as consent so after kind of watching the movie again it made me think of uh like a I sat in on my my group of students getting taught by our school counselor about consent and one of the things they talked about was like you know your someone's body movements and like that kind of a thing does not negate like their verbal consent. So just because someone is maybe participating physically in something doesn't mean that they've actually consented. And so I think that Ella Enchanted, I don't like probably unintentionally shows you this because Ella literally can't control her body when she's told to do certain things. And so, yes, she's doing that, but that does not mean she consented to it. Even if she, she didn't say a verbal yes, she didn't say a verbal no, she just is physically complying. So I think that it teaches, us, it shows you that like consent is not always, consent is not always given just because someone is participating in something. Um, And then also, I thought it was really refreshing that um, again, like Char did not come in as like a sexually aggressive asshole. Like, so early on, he has multiple lines where he's like, just so you know, that was not an order or just so you know, I don't want you to do something you don't want to do. And that I think is one of the ways, one of the reasons why Ella falls for him is that he, without knowing about her curse, like values her actual consent. Um, So I thought it was really refreshing to see a a male character have those qualities and especially refreshing that he doesn't have to learn that from her. He already
1: has that. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. It's... I, I don't know how the movie would get to the point it does with her having to be like, here's this thing I have. Because <laughs> I think there's a part of the – isn't there a part of the spell where she, like, can't talk about it or something? Or she's just so ashamed of it. I don't know. but Well, her
2: mom told her right before her mom died, she was like, you can't tell anyone this curse because they'll take, they'll take advantage, advantage of, you. of you.
1: Yeah. Which I get where her mom's coming from. But I also – like you're saying, Izzy, it's actually pretty remarkable that this – guys able to be like, hey, actually, like, I want you to feel as though you have autonomy over yourself and that, like, you can make choices and I'm not giving you commands. I also think it's probably, uh, like, I think it says a lot about, like, language and how we speak to people and how oftentimes the things that we're doing, like, while I think oftentimes the way we start um, conversations is through a question, oftentimes, like, I think we'd be surprised at how many commands we use. This is something I remember learning like when I was learning Spanish, like you have to, like you need those often. Um, And I think that this shows just how many things like Ellen chanted, even though like we probably weren't able to think really that deeply about this when we were first watching it, but like it kind of highlights just how often someone is given a command and how like typically we should feel empowered to like either run with that (laughs) command or to like reject it. but. I think Ellen chanted like my personal thesis would essentially be that like she's a symbol of women at like the feet of the patriarchy essentially and having to actually I think this relates to your quote. (laughs) Wow, Um, stay tuned for Izzy's quote. I feel like it relates to my analysis. I would if I were writing a paper, I would use this quote. God, wow, I need to be in school. This is a problem. Um, But basically, like the. I I think seeing an example of a woman that actually, like, can't say, like, doesn't have the opportunity to say yes or no, um, just is an example of, again, this is compounded with other um, marginalized identities for many individuals, but I think it's an example of um, anyone that's not a white cis um, heterosexual soci- socioeconomically advanced male <laughs> like I think if you're not that again like I said compounded with other identities but basically how that like hierarchy impacts individuals and I think in a way Ellen Chanted really highlights that even though I think we're only now really thinking about it or I am I don't want to speak for y'all <laughs>
0: And I also like, I don't want to say that Char is perfect because like what you're saying, like, I don't, I think this movie also makes me think, be very aware of when I tell people to do something, because I think of that moment earlier when they first meet and she's on the bridge and he thinks he's being helpful and he goes, wait right there. But then she gets stuck on the bridge and almost gets hit by a cart.
1: I know that part used to give me anxiety as a child and still does. But literally as a kid, I'd be like, oh, my God, she's going to get hit by that carriage. Yeah.
0: And and to me, like, if I'm going to hyperanalyze that particular scene, it reminded me or just makes me think of, like, when men or anyone thinks that they're doing the right thing for someone else, but they didn't actually ask them what help they needed. And so I think that's another thing with not necessarily consent but just like I think this movie also shows you in a lot of different ways how like if you want to help a community you should actually have a conversation with that community instead of assuming that you know what they need
2: I've just been thinking about like how basically Ella's autonomy is taken away but it's almost cloaked in this idea that she's just being obedient and so I've just been really thinking about this word obedient and what like it means, and when I first think of obedience, you know, I think of a dog. I don't know what y'all think about maybe children, I guess. Like, you know, you always want to have an obedient child, but really looking at it, just the idea of someone always being obedient and never being able to speak up and speak out if they're being wronged or being asked to do something that makes someone comfortable. In Ella's case, it didn't matter. Like, she couldn't speak up because she had to do it. Um, but I'm just thinking about this quote unquote gift of obedience and how, you know, in actuality it we see it become a curse and what obedience actually like I guess implies when being when someone says, Oh, you're so obedient or oh your child is so obedient. You know, thinking about it now, it's kind of like, yeah, I want my child to be polite or I want to be polite, but I don't necessarily think obedience is now Necessarily, a compliment. I agree.
0: I also think like that idea of obedience is interesting in the movie because while yes, she's technically obedient and that she obeys orders, she is not like docile or like subservient in terms of her spirit and her like her personality. Like, and you see that from literally the beginning. One of my favorite little bits is like immediately after Lucinda gives her the blessing slash curse. Um, and she says, like, oh, you're gonna have the perfect child, baby Ella pees on her, like, so she, from day one, is, like, asserting her, her personality, and her, like, spunkiness from day one, and, like, you know, when the little girl says, bite me on the playground when she's bullying her friend, she bites her, because she's been told to do that, but it's also, like, very much, like, a fuck you, so I think that, like, Ella finds clever ways of getting around being, like, so even though she's obedient, she's not necessarily like polite and subservient.
2: I think that's a good segue into the next question about how when we look broadly at the plot of Ella Enchanted, it doesn't really strike me as an empowering movie for girls because it is about a woman who is required to do everything that she is told and basically has no autonomy or consent over you know, what she's doing. And that doesn't really sound feminist to me when you say it like that. But when you watch it, as we've been discussing, there are so many points of empowerment and you really witness Ella's strength and passion um, from when she's a baby to the end of the movie. My question for y'all, what is, what was the most empowering moment for you in this movie?
1: Oh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that this is, like, my favorite empowering moment of hers, but I think, like, the most empowering moment is when she's holding the knife over Char and she decides she's not going, like, she literally, I can't remember exactly what she says, but I think she says, like, I will no longer be obedient. And I think that movie also is empowering just because I feel like there's an adrenaline rush along with it. And so you're kind of like, oh my gosh, like, she's about to kill the love of her life. Um, And I think being able to, like, overcome the the spell that was put on her um is empowering but in terms of like what i define as like female empowerment like i don't know if that's it but i think in terms of like gaining self um words are hard um i guess i don't have them (laughs) um just like gaining her like autonomy i guess that's the word that we're looking for but just like gaining her her power um back that that That's the key moment for me, for sure.
2: Nellie, not to nitpick the quote, because my favorite empowering moment is the same one, but she actually is, like, yelling, you will no longer be obedient. And I think that was, like, very powerful because it's almost like she's been wrestling with two people for her entire life. This person who does whatever she's being told and you know, the real Ella that we witness. And so I think when she says that and then drops the knife, like she is 100% now herself. And I think that's really empowering. I have chills just thinking about it. I cry every time I see that scene. Also because I love Char and because I don't want him to be murdered, but most importantly, because Ella is no longer, you know, a prisoner to this curse. So I hope I didn't sound too much like a – Teacher's pet being like, actually, the quote was this. But I think it does, you know, show significance, the fact that she's not saying I, she's saying you as if she is battling her inner demons.
1: Relating to last week's theme of Teacher's pet. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) If you listened last
2: week, you'll understand.
0: Um, I agree. I think that is such a, I think like that's the dramatic and like climactic empowering moment of the film for sure. Um, In terms of like other parts that I really love though, like most of them are more like comedic, but I think one of my other favorite empowering moments is um, kind of the, after the big, okay, there's two. In In the fight scene, I love, love, love the part where Char, he technically comes to her rescue, but he also grabs a sword for her and then they're fighting together. And I love that because they're like, he's like, all right, I'm saving her, but I understand that she can, like she's part of that process. So I think that's empowering because she's like aiding in her own saving, if that makes sense. And then right after that, when like the battle has ceased and Char and Ella are about to have their like reunion kiss, Hattie runs in and tries to tell her not to do it. And then, you know, she, ha- she gets to have that moment of like telling Hattie off and like snatching her mom's necklace back from her. And I think that that was also like definitely more comedic, but also empowering.
2: Can we talk about Hattie for a second? We all know she would vote for Donald Trump, right? Like, when she was, like, when they were doing their debate, that's another scene I really loved because I just relate to Ella so much there. But also, I, like, see Nellie in her during those debates. And when she's protesting in front of, like, the whole town and the Prince fan club... I'm like, Nellie would so do that. She wouldn't care at all what anyone thinks. She would, like, she would do what she knew was right. And so, you know, those parts really remind me of Nellie. But, you know, when Hattie, I can't even remember exactly what she was, like, arguing in that debate, but it was stupid and basically saying, oh, look at how great our economy is because... We're using giants and elves and ogres. And Ella's like, they're slaves. That's not free. I was like, wow, this is hidden close to home.
0: Yeah, and we can talk about more of that in a bit because I, like, I really love Ella's constant commentary on capitalism in this movie. But we can talk about that in a bit. Um, but I, I think I love Hattie. I love, the, like, I love to hate, you know, I love to hate Hattie. I also love that actress. I think she's wonderful. Um, but I I think what I also appreciate about this film is that, like, Hattie and her mom, they're not, like, the ultimate villains. I appreciate that the main villain is a man because I think that's, like, um, a trap I don't love about... Because this is obviously based off of Cinderella. And in Cinderella, like, the evil stepmother and the stepsisters are the ultimate villains. And so I like that in this, like, they... Because they're not the ultimate villain, they are, like, just as much, like, pawns of patriarchy as Ella is, and it's just had different consequences for all of them. Um, so I appreciate that, like, the main villain is a, like, power-hungry, like, evil, evil man. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No, that's a really good point to make Making something I didn't really pick up on, so I appreciate. Well, I just appreciate that about the movie and for you pointing it out. Do you want to dive into... The next cue is or we can talk about capitalism or both at once. <laughs> well,
0: yeah. So my my questions for you guys are like, can we consider Ella an activist? And just like what do you all think about her journey as an activist throughout
1: the film? Well it's interesting because um one of them when we were sharing our empowering moments for Ella, um something that I thought of kind of towards the end of that um, conversation was just the scene where they're riding horses on the beach which is like should be this like very like romantic scene hypothetically but it's like super not because basically she's like hey yo slannon wants to be a lawyer like you should help him like or slannon ask like ask him about ask char about like that possibility whatever and then char's just like oh yeah you should talk to my uncle and then basically doesn't do anything to help and then ella kind of calls him out in like a, I think, pretty productive way. She's like, look, she's like directly like, look, you're about to become king. Like you are going to have power to make these decisions and you don't seem to care. Um, And also you want to be taken seriously and not seen as just this like boy band. (laughs) I don't know, like the celebrity boy. And so if you want to be taken seriously, like you should actually make moves and like make an impact because you have the power to do so. And I feel like in addition to Ella, like, from very early on in the movie and throughout, like, speaking out against injustice and protesting in a very kind of, um, in kind of the way we typically think of protesting, like, uh, with posters and at a, at a rally, which is all very important. I think she's also, like, having the important conversations, um, which I think has been so much of what I know I've been kind of talking about over the last few months with my family and friends about like, the importance of having those conversations with people that you're, when you're able to. Um, so I think Elle as an activist both in kind of the, the typical way we think about it, but then also in having those harder conversations and kind of calling people out um, in a productive way. So to me, even though that also happens early on, I think being able to be like, no, like, I have the power to, like, speak out about this, so I'm going to even if she isn't empowered fully i don't know so much i don't know if i thought as much about her journey as an activist so i'd be curious to kind of hear your thoughts on that izzy well
0: so like when i was thinking about ellen Enchanter through the lens lens of activism um i kind of see her as kind of like like a prototypical white feminist at the beginning who like sees herself as woke because she like you know has her best friend who's not like like doesn't look like the rest of the girls at their school which maybe we can talk about that later and how underutilized that character is um but and she and um arita so she and arita are like protesting at the opening of the mall and so to me that's when she's kind of in her like quote unquote woke white girl phase where she's like i'm doing it like i made the signs which is like again a very valid form of of activism but but then you, I like that Ella is not perfect at the beginning, because then you see her a little bit later at dinner with Slannon, and she's just, like, very unaware of her own privilege in this moment, where she says, like, why can't you be a lawyer? And he's like, I literally, by law, can only sing and dance for the man. And so then she's like, oh, right, I forgot. So I think it's interesting, because even though, like, Ella is presented to us as someone who is entirely, like, who entirely lacks autonomy, she still has privilege because she's, like, a white human and um in this world where like other magical beings such as elves are like subjugated through a very like capitalistic class system so i think it's interesting cuz at the beginning i think she she thinks she's like got it down but then she learns more once she actually builds friendships with people like slanan and like the um, the giant at the bar so i think it's like you see her become more of like a legitimate activist you know if maybe you agree maybe you don't um because then she is, like, having the conversations with Char and, like, bringing him in. Like, the fact that she brings him to the giant party and is, like, you need to talk to this guy. Because that's, like, what actual activism is to me. It's, like, joining with communities and, like, working with them. So I think it's cool to see that develop. And I also appreciate that, again, she's not perfect from the beginning. Even though we know that she's our heroine and our main character.
2: It's, like, almost performative activism and that... Then becomes real activism because she's actually taking the time to educate herself.
0: Yeah, and also, like, I love at the end that she gets Slannan to bring in all of, like, the ogres and the giants with them, and so it's not, it kind of moves away from, because it had the potential to be kind of like, you know, a magical kingdom version of White Savior, where it's like, Ella freed you all, but instead they're all participating in their own liberation. That yeah,
2: scene. and they couldn't do, like, she couldn't have been freed without them. Like, like physically.
1: It's like Shrek. I'm sorry, I will take that (laughs) out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I saw that in your nose. It is like Shrek. It's like Shrek.
2: I actually haven't seen Shrek in so long because Shrek 2 is better. Oh, I I thought
1: you were about to say Shrek 2 is bad. I literally thought that was coming out of your mouth and I was like, take it back.
0: (laughs) No, a lifelong desire of mine is to sing on top of a piano in a bejeweled red gown. Thanks
1: to Shrek 2. (laughs)
2: Oh my god. Maybe that's my I home literally costume,
0: at, like, can just,
1: you do that at like, my rehearsal dinner. If I ever get married, I would like for you to do that, Izzy, please and thanks. I'm on it. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> or like bachelorette party, but like specifically rehearsal dinner. I'm here for that. <laughs> Iz, do you have any other questions you want to tackle before we dive into our final big, big question?
0: Maybe not so much as a question, because I don't think we would have differing answers, but just like I wish that the film had been more diverse because I think a lot of the allegory they set up is an allegory for class and race. Like who who is asked to do what jobs and what is expected of people. But yeah,
1: this is what I was thinking kind of um, when thinking about my, my answer to the is an enchanted feminist question, because it definitely toys with the theme of intersectionality in terms of, like you said, um difference uh like I think in terms of class and and oppression um in this case it's like like you said like uh elves I almost said trolls (laughs) um elves and ogres and giants um in relation to humans but I definitely was disappointed that like there are only I only saw well I guess there are three people of color that I see in the movie. The one is the, the witch that we, is also kind of a villain. And, or not witch. The fairy. Fairy. The,
2: the sorry. sorry. And the uh, divisive name. Witch. Um,
1: sorry. <laughs> Big Wizard of Oz fan. That's where that's coming from. Apologies. Um, the fairy and then the the best friend Anita, is that her name? I think it's Arita. Arita. The best friend Arita. And then the the woman, the like castle aide, um, is what I the title I would give her. I don't really know. Like we library. don't know her. We super yeah. do not need her. She throws Librarian the book in the trash. maybe. Yeah, so that was. Girl, sure, we could call her a librarian. <laughs> um, <laughs> but basically I, I would I agree with you, Izzy, that this film well, I think is, like, pretty ahead of its time and also a really great example um, of, to me, a, a progressive and empowering movie, I don't – it definitely does not provide uh, intersectional representation in terms of
2: identity. So
1: worth, worth critiquing it on. So that's in vain. Pete, do you want to ask this question or do you want me to? I
2: can ask it. Perfect. Okay, ladies, the age-old question – Is Ella Enchanted a feminist film?
0: So as we were just discussing, while I do not think it is necessarily like intersectionally feminist in a way that we want it to be in our modern times, I would still say that this is very much a feminist movie because it has, um, a woman who not only like is empowered by the end of the movie, but achieves that empowerment from herself and not from an outside male source. Um, and then also even though it is not like diverse in like terms of race or gender identity or sexual identities, it does like have a class consciousness in its discussion of capitalistic societies that I feel like is a scooch intersectional. Let me know if that is not correct, but um, so I think it has like, it's got enough of an empowering message for young women um, where I'm
1: comfortable calling this a feminist film I love the concept of scooch, of intersectionality. I think that's a good word for it. Um, I agree with you, Izzy. I don't really have much else to add kind of other than uh, what we were talking about earlier. Just I think with, I think this movie could really easily be taught alongside um, conversations about consent and training surrounding consent and things like that. And so I think uh, we haven't really talked about consent on the podcast yet. So I'm grateful to have had I'm grateful that you suggested this movie, Izzy, for that reason, amongst others. But, like, not only do I think that Ellen Chanted is feminist, even though it's not um, kind of meeting the mark in terms of intersectionality, I do think, uh, while indirectly teaching us about consent, like, that is really important. And so I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful for that.
2: I agree with both of you with what you had to say. I don't really have much to add to both of those points, because I think it's so eloquently expresses what I'm thinking, but with the genre of fairy tales, I think this is a great example of a damsel not in distress and a damsel who, I don't like the word damsel, I'm not going to say that, Um, a young woman character who is, you know, going on this journey and ultimately takes back her autonomy and can finally be in control of her life. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, like, revolve around a prince charming, but more a prince that want, that respects her and also wants to empower her as well.
1: Sweet. Shout out to Ella Enchanted. We love her. Um, we'll be naming my first daughter Ella after her, like, shout out. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. That would be so confusing to have a daughter named Ella and my name being Ellie. That would just be a lot of blah, blah, blah.
2: Also, that's like a lot to bank off this one movie. Like, okay, yep, that's it. My daughter's name is Ella because of this one movie.
1: I mean, I don't think it would be a bad person to name someone after, but as long as I she's not, I don't want her to be obedient at all. Nope. I want her to push back on me a lot to make it difficult.
2: <laughs> Give me a challenge, mom of the year. Um, Nellie's like, don't do you be obedient.
0: Okay. okay, so I know, like, I know you'll constantly are categorizing people in terms of enneagram numbers oh and yes
1: oh also you should share your enneagram if you know it oh i meant to two. ask you that i'm
0: really. aggressively a two okay that, that checks out <laughs> i I'm, should have
1: known that are you a two wing do you have a wing
0: i'm a two wing one.
1: Oh. never met one of those before i have
0: i'm not like other girls
1: but i'm a two wing three so we kind of complement each other in that sense Yes. Two sides of the
0: same so, coin. Um, <laughs> two sides if of the same you. coin. Um, but yes, I'm I'm very much aggressively a two, which I think makes sense with how I run my friendships, how I run my family relationships, and the fact that I'm an educator. Um, so really just on brand all around. But um, my, my mom is an eight, <laughs> which is also not shocking, um, which is the challenger. And if any of you know Erica, that just checks out and i feel like ella would be an eight so that's how eights
1: are often like um like big time activists i mean so are twos but i think eights are often um i mean not to say all eights are like on the right side of history and things like that but i think eights are oftentimes so it would make sense with ella i think um i remember reading somewhere that like it's not uncommon for eights to be like things like human rights lawyers or things like that so I remember talking to Bree Korn, who was on Bree who was on the podcast um, back in June, was that one that was? Time doesn't exist. Um, basically she she identifies as an Enneagram 8 and um, wants to be, I'm pretty sure wants to be a human rights lawyer. So what would Char be? I don't know.
0: Like the loyal list? Is that seven?
1: That's six. Six. I think he would be that one. Yeah, I feel like he also could be a nine. I also seem to always think that men are nine. I literally always think men are nine, which is, like, the peacekeeper. My brother's a nine,
0: and his- his So many men I
1: love are nines, but sometimes I see the negative in it,
0: so. No, but, like, because, like, you know my brother and you know my mom. My mom is a huge personality. I'm me, and then Warner is a nine. So it, like, it it makes sense with our dynamic, but, um, but yes.
1: (laughs) Cool. Well, let's dive into our action items. Izzy, do you want to start?
0: Sure, so Sweet. I would love 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 for everyone to check out the Love One company, it's Love and the Number One. Um, it is a clothing line and they sell like cool t-shirts and sweatshirts and stickers um, with their Love One logo. Um, it was founded by a recent DC public school graduate um, named Raquan Brown. He attended the school where I work for a little while and then he graduated from a different school in DC, um, so we got to support our local kiddos. Um, part of the company's proceeds for Love One go towards a program called One Gun Gone, um, which is an organization that buys guns out of communities that are regularly affected by gun violence, and then it turns its guns into pieces of art, which is super cool. Um, Raquan, the founder, um, at a very he recently gave a speech uh, to all of the DCPS teachers at our pre-service week, which was pretty cool um, on Teams or Zoom. And um, he said that like his goal once he has the money is to expand the company um, in a way where it also allows him to um, fund like mental health services for um, people in his peer group. He said like a big issue he finds is that like there are a lot of people like himself who've ex- lost people to gun violence and then they have very limited access to a psychiatrist. So he wants to expand the company where they can provide um, like help connect um, help connect young people who are dealing with gun violence and the fallout of that to uh, mental health providers. Um, And Raquan also founded the company in honor of his stepfather and his former teammate who is a student at my high school. Um, Both of them were killed by gun violence. So this is near and dear to me. I did not know, I did not teach Raquan personally, but teachers at my school did teach him. And he seems like a really amazing young man and people are very proud of the company that he started. So again, check out Love One Company.
2: My action item this week is about the wildfires happening in California right now. Um, As you've probably seen on the news, California recently has been dealing with another outbreak of wildfire. And in order to, help donate or find resources you can go to calfund.org slash norcal-wildfire-relief and it's a great website um, where you can find lots of different relief funds as well as lots of resources for direct relief and assistance
1: so as many of y'all know um or probably know there have been protests going on um in rochester new york so basically on march 23rd of this year the rochester police department murdered um, a black man named daniel prude and so in the past week basically um, protests have really gained momentum in in rochester um, so here are just some ways to support the people that are out protesting and to demand justice for daniel prude So please call the Rochester Attorney General Office at 585-546-7430 and demand that they prosecute Mark Vaughn, Troy Tallade, and Francisco Santiago for the murder of Daniel Prude. Call the Mayor's Office at 585-428-7045 and email lovely at mayorlovelywarren.com to demand the immediate firing of Mark Vaughn, Troy Talladay, and Francisco Santiago. If you wish to stand up against police violence but are unable to be out in the streets, um, many of you are not in Rochester. I know for a fact one of you is, Um, but because my best friend lives in Rochester, but like if you're unable to be out in the streets or you're supporting from a distance, please consider uh, donating directly to local organizers on the front lines. Front lines by Venmoing at BLM Rock. That's BLM ROC and um, at Rock Food Not Bombs ROC Food Not Bombs. Um, I'll be sharing more resources. Um, I'll share all of all links to all of these resources um, on our Instagram and in our in our in the description of this episode, um, so you can take action please continue to stay active in these important issues and, um, and support around the country. Um, so as we are wrapping up, first, I want to say thank you so much to Izzy. Um, first of all, it was wonderful to just be in your presence, even though it was over zoom, but also, um, I really loved talking about Ellen Enchanted*. I was kind of curious to see how this was going to go, <laughs> but, um, I think it really was a great, uh, a great choice so thank you we were so happy to have you here um do you want to take us out with a quote oh also if you want to like plug anything of yours you're welcome to like your instagram or things like that or if you're like Um, no i actually don't want to do that that's fine too no need to plug just like if you're friends with a teacher
0: ask them how they're doing (laughs) yeah seriously
2: um how are you
0: doing you know it's actually
1: going okay which is really nice so, thank you for asking, Paige. Um he's doing the important work. <laughs> She's molding yeah. the minds of young students in a pandemic. That's yeah. crazy. Um, but, Scary?
0: Um, yeah, I, I get the Sunday scaries, but throughout the week. Um, so. <laughs>
1: no. Oh, gosh. That's literally That's my worst sim- nightmare.
2: Sim- simply
1: horrible. <laughs> we'll all be thinking <laughs> of you, Izzy. Gosh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. But So this is a silly quote, but my favorite quote from the movie comes from the scene where Patty and Olive are getting a tour of the castle, and they are fawning over all of the places where Char has been, to the point where the tour woman has to tell them, ladies, ladies, stop tonguing the foyer. That
1: is my quote. <laughs> Women at the feet of the patriarchy. <laughs> this is reference to my earlier thing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Izzy um this has been so much fun uh all right well thanks for listening this has been feminist fiends and quarantine queens bye, bye.